Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. This week, we are the official podcast of the National Bank Open from Toronto, and we are moving on to day four of the tournament. And for a second straight episode, we will be speaking with a top Russian player. This time, uh, Mike, I had a chance to chat with a silver medalist from the Tokyo Olympics, Karen Hatchinoff, who we will remember well, also battling Dennis Shapovalov at Wimbledon in that great quarterfinal. Um, before we get to the interview with Hatchinoff, though, um, just recapping what we did see in day three, the reality was it was a tough one for the Canadians. Yeah, there's no way to sugarcoat this. So for all of our Canadian listeners, uh, we're just going to tell it to you straight up. Uh, yeah. it's, been a, it's been a disappointment for the Canadian men in Toronto with Braden Schnur, Vashik Pospisil, and now Felix Ogialiasim and Denis Shapovalov going a collective 0-4 in the tournament, um, especially for Denis and Felix on Wednesday. Such an opportunity. Um, good draws, I believe, for both of them on both halves, and neither one was able to put together anything resembling even a competitive match, I hate to say, and I, I don't think I'm being too harsh when I, when I make that comment. No, no, I don't think uh, you are either. And um, I, I guess we'll start with the day session and Felix Ojealiasim, who was the ninth seed here. Um, I'll be honest, of the two of them, Felix and Dennis, my higher hopes were rested at Shapovalov's shoulders. Um, but for Felix, you felt like it was a very winnable opening round match against uh, Dusan Lajevic, who granted did beat him at the ATP Cup in 2020, but it's been a pretty quiet season for Lajevic. Um, as of this year, he hasn't really made inroads at many tournaments. You think, okay, this is where Felix can kind of get, get the feet wet and get some momentum because he didn't play particularly well in Washington the previous week either. But um, just felt like he kind of fell behind the eight ball in this match and just never properly recovered. So seven, five, six, four. I mean, those are relatively tight sets, but it felt like anytime he had an opportunity, had a look get things going he couldn't convert and um i read dusan's comments actually after this match in press and uh, was struck by a few of them that said you know for someone like felix players that that have all these tools you have to understand when you're stepping on the court there's only it's only 10 percent of the time you're going to feel your absolute best on the court is what he said it's like only 10 percent of the time you feel like you have everything working it's how you handle things that day when you don't have your best can you win he was saying the best players they find a way to win with what they have and he thinks once Felix figures that out he is going to soar and that is really the element that is missing with Felix's game if things are just a little bit off whether it's his margins his serve he hasn't been winning and so he'll have to try and correct that yeah I think that's a good way of sort of summing it up because from what I caught I got there you know sort of halfway through the second set in Toronto and it didn't seem like Felix was able to strategize anything different or, or shake himself out of the rut that he was in. He clearly hasn't found his hardcore groove yet for the summer. And hopefully with Cincinnati coming up, that'll give him another opportunity ahead of the U.S. Open. Um, it, it has been an up and down season for him, as we've mentioned. He did just turn 21 years old. So I'd like to chalk it up to part of the learning curve. And you don't want to be too hard on young players, especially a young player who's already made eight ATP finals by the time he turns 21 years old. Uh, Felix, after his match, did, I don't want to say blame, but he did mention that the wind was difficult for him today, which is something you and I certainly noticed when we were there for the night match. 
I don't know if it's time for Tennis Canada to build a, a court in a wind tunnel or something <laughs> to give our Canadians more practice in these conditions, but they both use that as part of the reason why they couldn't put their A-games together. Yeah, look, that's that's going to be a reality that, that strikes at numerous tournaments, depending on the conditions you, you deal with. And it is up to both opponents to adapt, right? Obviously, uh, Francis Tiafo dealing with the same wind on that court in the night session, Dusan Lajevic dealing with the same wind in the day session. So how do you adapt? How do you adjust? Maybe play with more margin. Uh, we'll get to Denis Shapovalov now. His loss, 6-1, 6-4 to Francis Tiafo. And first set just kind of went by in a flash. It was hard to kind of make sense of. Tiafo was very, I'll, I'll give him credit, super solid from the back of the baseline on both his forehand and backhand win wing wasn't making many mistakes but dennis was gifting a lot of free points especially on the serve nine total double faults sometimes coming in really bad spots he was missing a lot with the backhand wing sitter forehands in the net and um he attributed it to rust but i was still ultimately surprised because we heard him speaking so confidently in pre-tournament press ahead of this matchup or just ahead of the tournament really yeah, and when you talk about the effect that wind can have on both Felix and Dennis, um, and even between Dennis and his opponent, Francis Tiafo last night, I, we both agreed at the start of the match it was going to be more difficult for Dennis to contend with that wind yeah. because of the game he plays, because it's more of a high-risk game, uh, and it certainly did play a part. But then in the second set, when the wind died down, he was still throwing out tons of double faults. So I don't think we can just attribute it to the weather conditions. There was clearly something that wasn't clicking there for him. Uh, I mean, he got himself fired up a few times. He was, you know, shouting the commands and, and doing the mm -hmm. fist pumps, but it wasn't quite enough. And uh, yeah, disappointing. I mean, for me, I took the night off last night in terms of media obligations. I brought my son who you got to meet for the first time and he was so stoked to watch Chapo. But that first set, I mean, by the time we sat down, it felt like five minutes later, it was over already. Second set, mildly better, but still wasn't able to push it to a third. And, you know, TFO said afterwards, in the past when he's played Dennis, he's been a little bit too lackadaisical and comfortable and kind of joking around because they're buddies. Mm -hmm. And he said last night he took the match seriously. And look what happened with the result. He was locked in from the first point. I will give him credit for that he was super super solid he did still have his great moments of entertainment if we recall he was chasing down that drop shot i think on the right side of the court and uh just did get it back dennis volleyed it into the open court and um francis collapsed into his chair um <laughs> and then put his feet back and kind of got a chuckle from the crowd so he is a great entertainer and uh speaking of entertainment he'll be facing gaumo feast next which i think is such a thrilling match matchup uh for those two to play but uh yeah dennis says it, it wasn't his night i will at least say it didn't feel like either of them were too too rattled about the losses and press they weren't devastated felix said i'm okay have to accept the loss accept it and move on i got the same vibe from dennis so um that's good i mean i wouldn't want them to just just be crushed by this obviously yeah, for sure. Uh, I wish I could say that Canadian tennis fans felt the same way and were able to move past it as easily. And yeah. I wonder how tournament director Carl Hale is feeling as he loses his two big Canadian star power and drawing power. But a good opportunity now for fans here to embrace and get to know some of the other names of the game. Um, I mean, some who they clearly already know, like Medvedev and Pass, who you got to say 
have a great shot here. Uh, another one is Russians uh, Karen Hachinov, who you were fortunate enough to land in an interview. And I feel like we should become the official podcast of, of Tennis Russia, the way things are going <laughs> this week, because we had Rublev yesterday, we got Hachinov today. Uh, maybe Karatsev is still uh, around. I think he's in the doubles. We could ask for him tomorrow. But uh, hey, they're super exciting players. Um, I got to admit, I hadn't had a chance to listen to your uh, interview with Hachinov yet, but uh, looking forward to doing so. I'll let you tee it up here for us. Yeah, look, um, I'm always thrilled to talk to any of these superstar Russian players. You you tackled Andre Rublev and did such a great job. And uh, Karen Hachinov was uh, generous with his time. Super nice guy. Very, very friendly, I will say. Um, for him and his game, I was so impressed. I remember 2017, 2018. Um, I actually saw him in Toronto. He, he made the semifinals. Um, at one point, and I watched courtside him beat John Ister and was so impressed by the power that he had from the baseline, also his movement for his size. And 2018 was a big, big season for him. He won the Paris Masters towards the end of that year and beat Novak Djokovic in the finals. Then it felt like he stagnated a bit for 2019-2020, was kind of winning, losing, winning, losing. Um, but this year has been a great one. Um, you know, two ATP semifinals, quarterfinals of Wimbledon, and of course, playing that classic five setter against Dennis and then silver medal in Tokyo, which is another amazing result. So uh, we touched on uh, the Wimbledon quarterfinal. I kind of brought up actually battling Dennis and battling some of the Canadians too, to get his take on a possible rivalry there. And uh, we also played a fun little rapid fire to finish. So I'll let you guys listen to my interview with uh, Karen Hatchinoff. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada and very happy uh, now to be joined by Karen Hatchinov, um, who is back in Canada. And uh, Karen, thanks so much uh, for joining me today. Um, just overall, how pleased are you to be back in Canada? This is a place where you've, you've played some great tennis in the past and, and made two semifinals before. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, especially it feels like it's been long, you know, a long time since Last time we played in Canada, you know, last year the tournament was cancelled, unfortunately, you know. And, um, you know, it feels great, of course, to come back to the tournaments where you had a kind of uh, success in the recent years and, uh, you know, you feel confident about it and you just want to kind of repeat it and continue that way, I would say. And certainly you should be feeling, I think, really confident about your tennis Um Played great at Wimbledon, making the quarterfinals, and then uh, Tokyo Olympics. You, you made uh, the final and earned yourself a silver medal. Can you just talk about uh, what that experience was like, not only representing your country, but just taking in the Olympic Village and, and being part of such a such a great international event? Yeah, 100%. You know, it was the first experience uh, for me, actually, for all the Russian guys, you know, out there. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's been great experience so far, you know, and uh, uh, we met with different athletes with, with uh, you know, different sports. And we always love to kind of share those kind of weeks where you represent your country, you know, in Davis Cup, ATP Cup, like uh, Olympics, you know, where we all of us were in, staying together in the same village. We're sharing a lot of moments and uh, um, especially, of course, to bring the medal to myself, to my country, for my family. You know, I was really proud to be there uh, first of all it's a kind of a dream come true of, a, of the you know from the childhood you know to to represent your country at the olympics uh, for me it's uh, one of the obviously biggest events you know which we have um, once in a four years even this year it was once in a five years you know and uh, you know i'm extremely 
happy that I could uh, play well there. You know, I could uh, bring the medal home and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a great experience. So that I will remember for sure. Yeah, no, no kidding. It was a uh, great watching you and uh, just back to Wimbledon for a second as well. You were playing some great tennis there. And I have to ask you because you battle one of our Canadians in the quarterfinals. You had such a great match against Denis Shapovalov, a, a five setter. Um, what did you take away from that performance at Wimbledon and, and battling Dennis? Do you feel like that could be a future rivalry for you, maybe facing uh, Shapovalov or some of our Canadians who are our young age and, and also high in the rankings these days? For sure, they are a little bit younger than me, but I mean, a couple of years, but obviously we are from the same generation, you know, rising up and trying to be better, improve. Uh, you know, it was a tough battle, uh, but, you know, obviously we play for matches like this. We play for, uh, uh, you know, for to being on uh, one of the biggest courts and, uh, you know, playing the quarterfinals. Uh, both of us, we had chances to go into the semis. Um, you know, it kind of hurts, of course, to to lose that match, but Obviously, it, it shows up uh, for myself which which level we have. Uh, both of us, we were close. And um, this is what it matters at the end, of course, to win those matches. But, you know, I had uh, tough matches before, which, you know, it could go another way. And this is sport. This is tennis. That's that's why you always need to kind of analyze, take positives from, from that. And, uh, you know, what, what maybe you had missing into those matches to make a difference into your side. And... Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, obviously it was anyway a good run and good, a good tournament, uh, good experience again. And, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, I belong to to the top players and, um, <clears throat> and um, you know, I need to work on, continue moving forward, try to come back to, to the top 10. And uh, this is uh, my biggest goal right now. That's, that's a great goal to have. Uh, we'll, we'll finish on a quick note, just a few... Uh lighthearted rapid fire questions for you. You can answer quickly uh, just uh, so our Canadian fans get to know you a little bit better. Um, would you call yourself a morning or night person? Night. Okay. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Your favorite shot to hit on the tennis court? Uh, my forehand down the line. Forehand down the line. Okay. Do you have a favorite movie? Uh, Gladiator. Nice movie. Um, place you would like to visit the most that you haven't been to yet? Mm, Peru, Machu Picchu. Oh, nice. I've actually been there. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm surprised I've been somewhere that you haven't been. And uh, last one, uh, who's maybe a famous person you would most like to meet? Mm, tough to say, but um, maybe LeBron James. Okay. I like that answer. All right. Well, Karen, thanks so much uh, for your time and uh, best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Ben. There you have it. My interview with uh, Russian tennis player Karen Hachinov, recent silver medalist. And um, boy, the Russians did quite good at the Tokyo Olympics because it was gold and mixed doubles for Andre and silver in singles for Hachinov. And I enjoyed the rapid fire. Um, LeBron James is the guy he would most like to meet. I found that interesting, obviously a superstar and global icon. So uh, he had his choice lined up and was very sharp on the rapid fire, actually. You do love the rapid fire. And I got to say, we should probably employ that even when we've just got each other to talk to and (laughs) and throw rapid fire at one another and see how it works. But maybe not this week when we're recording these early morning podcasts where my voice and my brain are still both waking up, if you hadn't noticed yet. Um, As for Hatchinov, 
Uh, he's already accumulated a, a nice little resume at this stage of his career. And with the Olympics only coming around every four years, although the next one will be in three because of the, the one we lost due to the pandemic, what a special uh, achievement for these athletes. And you can tell how much it means to them. I mean, Rublev was just talking so glowingly to me the other day about his gold medal in mixed doubles. And you wouldn't think, oh, mixed doubles, but it's, it's the gold medal, it's the Olympic Games. It's something these, these athletes grew up watching and, and wanting to be. Um, and the fact that it comes along so infrequently means there's, there's only so many players out there in their career that are going to grab a bronze, a silver, or a gold medal. Yeah, yeah, just relishing that chance. I mean, we've seen the devastation. Novak Djokovic has felt not able to win uh, an Olympic medal. It, it's incredibly difficult to do, especially just, just because it only com- comes along every every four years. So, um, yeah, Hatchinoff was certainly thrilled by his performance as well in Tokyo. And I feel like he's playing very good tennis. We will just quickly tee up that match. To me, it's the matchup of the day, honestly. You look at our lineup in Toronto, and this will be... On the center court, uh, Karen Hatchinoff taking on our, our Toronto finalist from 2018 and number three seed Stefano Tsitsipas. I think we're going to see great tennis there, especially since Hatchinoff, to me, is playing some of the best tennis he has all season. But uh, I would still certainly favor Tsitsipas to win this, and I'll, he'll probably be the slight fan favorite fan favorite pardon me given uh the greek contingency that loves to come and watch and i should mention their head-to-head is three and oh in favor of Pass as well oh well there you go see i didn't have that fact so now i was going to start to argue about a hatchinov victory given the fact he's already beat cam nori and he yeah. beat uh, carrot seven had to sort of you know struggle in that first set but found his way um that's the match of the day by far. I mean, that one stands heads and tails above the others, and that's what's kicking off the action on stadium court at 11 a.m. It's a shame that we have to lose either one of them this early. I mean, I guess we're at the midway point, but still relatively early yeah. uh, to lose one of those those two guys. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, hatching off that ranking is kind of in the mid-20s range, and he's not seated here. I should note the head-to-head 3-0, though. They played earlier this year in Rotterdam. Pass came through 4 6 Six three seven five. So very very tight, close three setter. They played in Shanghai in 2018. It was six four seven six and a ten eight tiebreak. So they've played some very competitive matches. Um, so certainly Hatchinoff would have a fighter's chance here, especially the form he's in. Um, I'll mention a few of our other matches as well. Casper Rude, who of course I spoke to earlier in the week, and if you haven't done so, please check out that episode. I like his chances here against Dusan Lajevic. Um, that will be as well um, part of the morning session over on Grandstand, though. Andre Rublev on stadium court next after Hatchinov Tsitsipas, and he'll be taking on John Isner. Again, we spoke with him. And um, also stadium court Diego Schwartzman, Roberto Bautista Gu. That's an interesting matchup. And just jumping ahead to our evening session, there are a couple other matches, but evening we have Danil Medvedev coming on the center court night session for the first time this week. He'll be facing a surprise round of 16 player in James Duckworth. And then that'll be followed by uh, Hubert Hercatch of Poland against uh, Nicholas Basilashvili. So uh, there's your night session as well. And don't get me started about why Monfils versus TFO is not on uh, stadium <laughs> court. I tweeted that out late last night. I was quite disappointed when I saw that. A um, lot of doubles going on around the grounds as well. Unfortunately, fans live can't see it this year. Um, and those Russians are in doubles again uh, today as well. So the Russians are coming. The Russians are here. And we've been really <laughs> fortunate to talk with most of them at this point. 
Yeah. And uh, we'll shift over to the women's side. We, you know, shared the negative news about the Canadian men and their performances, but um, women has been very impressive. And the top story for me from both tournaments, really, if we're talking about tennis in Canada, has to be Rebecca Marino. Um, One upset was enough for me. I had already said her beating Madison Keys to open this tournament was a fantastic result. It could have stopped there and that would have been just fine. But for her to follow that up and this time uh, defeat Spain's Paula Badosa in a tough, tough three setter. And suddenly she is into the third round of this tournament, I believe for the first time in her career. So she is playing some terrific tennis, back-to-back top 50 wins. Actually, these are two top 30 players and something she hadn't achieved since her first career going back 10 years. So uh, she is just in the zone right now. Yeah, we never get tired about talking uh, about Rebecca and what she's done since her comeback to tennis. Uh, Another huge upset here and just such a feel-good story. I mean, this would be a great story, a heartwarming story, even without the winning, I feel like. Just having her back and enjoying tennis on her own terms would be such a, a plus and such a positive. And here she is scoring these huge wins. I mean, Obviously, earlier in the year when she qualified for and won a match in the main draw at the Aussie Open, that was huge. She hadn't done that in 10 years at a slam. Mm -hmm. Now this wonderful tournament here on home soil. And she says that having a support team there is is really nice because, as you recall, she traveled to Australia by herself early in the year with no team, no coach. And here she has the support of Sylvain Bruno, who isn't her main coach, but is helping her out throughout the week. Um, Heidi Altabak, the uh, Billie Jean Cup uh, captain for Canada, is there in her corner. Trainer Virginie Tremblay, who we've talked to before, she said her boyfriend's there as well. So um, she's feeling that support as well as from the crowd too. And um, her comeback story here just continues to impress. And it's going to get tough though now. I mean, it's been tough every round with who she's been facing. And now she's got to face the number one seed, Arena Sabalenka, not just in singles today, Ben, but she's also facing her in doubles, who, along with Elise Mertens, is also the number one seed as Rebecca partners with Layla Fernandez. So she's got her hands full today. I hope she got a good night rest <laughs> last night. Oh, goodness. Yeah, and Arena Sampalenka, she's a fierce player on both the singles and the doubles court. Um, yeah, look, this is the ultimate test. I, I think Marino at least can relish this opportunity, get a chance to measure herself against the very best players and arena Sabalenka to me, you look at this field, it is a deep field, even though we are missing Ash Barty, we're missing Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams. To me, arena Sabalenka is the best player in this field in Montreal. So getting that opportunity to face the very best, see where you're at. Um, obviously Sabalenka is going to be the heavy favorite here, but um the way Marino's playing right now, honestly, that serve forehand combination, so much resilience against Bedosa too. She dropped that first at 6-1 to come back from that was really, really impressive. And uh, Sabalenka, she got through her first match, um, but not easily, if I recall. I believe she was into a pretty decently long three-setter against Sloane Stevens, and then that was 6-4 in the third. Obviously, that was a tough opening round match that she got through as well. I think this will be a good one. It's center court for the day session starting at 11. Um, our night session in Montreal, I think, is fantastic too. So Bianca Andrescu getting set to face Ons Jabur. There's a contingent of Tunisian fans in Montreal, by the way, who were out supporting her last night uh, in her victory. So we'll see if they come out for that one against Bianca. That'll be followed by an All-American matchup, Danielle Collins taking on Jessica Pagula. 
Yeah, I want to know where the home court scheduling is because uh, that Jabur match went late last night. It ended after I went to bed. It only started around 10.30 p.m. against Kasakina. If I'm a Canadian organizer, I'm putting Jabur right back out on court. First match of the day, the next day, <laughs> against arrested Bianca, who hadn't yeah. played since Tuesday. But I guess that would look a little too obvious that we were trying to stack the deck if, if that was the case. Um, but that'll be a good night match. And... Um, and for the Sabalenka Marino one, just one more note. I just love how we're talking about how it, it could even be, in it, and we're expecting it to be competitive. And this is a world number two, what, 229 against the number one seed of the tournament. So, you know, that's a huge credit to Rebecca right there in terms of how we're feeling with her game right now. Yeah. And I'll just quickly note as well this tournament is doing wonders for her ranking. Obviously, this is in the live rankings, but as of next week, um, she's currently set to jump 45 spots to number 175. So, this is a big, big boost for her this tournament, uh, getting back inside that top 200, hopefully ascending from there, uh, which is great, great news. Um, just another note from last night. You know, we talked about Simona Halep, how well she plays in Montreal and Canada. She's won twice here. Such a tough opening round draw for her to face Danielle Collins. I sensed that would be a very competitive, tight, tight match. It did not disappoint, came down to the wire, but uh, Halep's campaign ending in Montreal in the first round um, to Danielle Collins. Um, 2-6-6-4-6-4 for Collins, who's playing really good tennis right now. She just won a tournament last week as well. Yeah, that's Halep's first loss in Montreal in nine years. She has done so well at that tournament in the past. And you got to figure that's part of the reason why she got off to such a hot start because she hasn't played in quite some time. And afterwards in post-match press, wasn't too disappointment, disappointed, realizing, you know, the weight of expectations against her, given her lack of match play, coming in against an opponent like Collins, who's been so strong. So for Simona on to the next one, I think Simona Halep still has some great things left to do in, in women's tennis, for sure. The uh, two-time Grand Slam champion, and I don't think she's done there. There's plenty of other great women to catch in the draw. The Montreal draw is looking rock solid to me. And uh, look, just looking forward to, we're about at the midway point of the tournament. I think we've been doing a pretty good job. We're going to catch our uh, second half wind uh, any moment now and looking forward to bringing some other great interviews to our listeners throughout the uh, the rest of the, the week, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Please check in with us every day. And if you haven't done so, our first few episodes, you know, they're, they're not stale. We have some great interviews in there with Andre Rublev, Casper Rude, Braden Schnur, have an exclusive as well uh, with Donna Vekic, who just lost in a very tight three-setter with Pliskova yesterday. So check it all out. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. Find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Canada. We'll talk to you next time. 